Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The FT. More questions over the pension reforms set to come into force in just three months. The slowdown in the mortgage market continues and is affecting higher value borrowers too. And as another student accommodation fund hits trouble, why were these high-risk ventures promoted to retail investors in the first place? Welcome to the FT Money Show, one of the FT's most popular podcasts. I'm Jonathan Ely and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues Joe Cumbo and Judith Evans, plus a special studio guest, Jonathan Harris of mortgage broker Anderson Harris. Pensions dominated the money headlines for much of 2014, and this year looks set to be little different. The year began with Pensions Minister Steve Webb floating the idea of annuities that could be traded in, only to see it widely dismissed as unworkable. And this week, more question marks emerged over the readiness of the government's promised free guidance service. When savers are ready to crystallise their pension savings, the idea is that they will be able to speak to an expert, either face-to-face or over the phone, to discuss their options. Two independent organisations have been appointed to provide this guidance. Citizens Advice is one, and the Pensions Advisory Service is the other. But with around 400,000 people set to take their pension benefits in some form every year, will there be enough people to provide this guidance? Joe Cumbo has been finding out. Joe, I guess there are two basic questions here. One is whether there will be enough people to provide the guidance, and the other is whether they'll be fully trained and up to speed with all the detail of the pensions reforms by April 6th when they come into practice. How are things looking? The answer to that question, uh, Jonathan, is we don't know because Treasury is yet to unveil uh, the final details of how many pensions guidance uh, service people will be available from April, and that is only 12 weeks away, so we're still waiting for those details. Can you remind us what exactly the guidance will consist of? Where will guidance begin and end? What sort of things can people expect to be to be talking about? In March last year, when the Chancellor announced these radical new pension freedoms, he also said that to support greater freedom and choice, that people would be offered this new right to a 30-minute session with um, an expert. They described it as an expert who will be able to talk through the options um, and help them to support uh, making uh, in better choices now that the options will be widened. And the impartial uh, service providers uh, who have been appointed to do this will be the Pensions Advisory Service and Citizens Advice, who have a track record both in delivering 
money or debt advice and pensions advice. Now, that uh, was announced in March. That was less than 10 months ago or so. So they've had a lot of work to do to get this up and ready before launch in April. Presumably they won't be giving products recommendations though they won't be saying to people well you should get an annuity or you should go into drawdown because that would be individual advice wouldn't no, it? No they won't be giving any kind of bespoke services that is going to end up with you walking out of a guidance session with a personal recommendation about what you should do. What you should expect from these guidance sessions is to be asked about basic information about your pension pots, your financial arrangements. Based on that, what you should expect is to be given some steer as to what options might be suited or suitable to your circumstances and then told about the consequences of those options such as tax issues or debt issues, etc. So all this has to take place within 30 minutes, but it is only supposed to be an outline of what your options are tailored slightly to your circumstances. Is it possible that if there are problems accessing guidance or if the guidance is, uh, is only fairly superficial that people will either go back to their uh, pension company or their insurance company and end up uh, buying an annuity as they might have done anyway, or that they will sort of fall into the arms of people hawking uh, get-rich-quick schemes and, and, and that people will be putting their retirement savings not into Lamborghinis maybe, but, but into something equally unproductive. Absolutely. There's a risk of both of those things happening. The government has tried to sell the guidance as a pillar or a, or a way that people won't end up um, making poor decisions about um, their pension cash when they have greater flexibility over over it. But in reality, what we are seeing is that we have no certainty 12 weeks ahead of the launch of these uh, new rules of how many guiders will be made available, how long people will have to wait to access those guidance sessions, and indeed expectations about what you might get during that session could be inflated so people might think that they don't need to go out and get full advice, that what they might get during the session could be enough to steer them in the right direction, which it will only be basic. It's not going to deliver that full recommendation. One thing that I can say and that we do know for certain is that the Citizens Advice Bureau, as part of the job description, those pension guidance agents and caseworkers should tell people about the risk of fraud and pension scams, which is certainly a big worry. Okay, thank you very much, Joe. More on the scramble to get the pensions reforms ready in this weekend's FT Money, where we'll also have the transcripts of an online Q&A with the Pensions Minister, Steve Webb. Still to come on the show, higher education is booming, but several student accommodation funds are in deep trouble and their investors could face losing money. First, though, let's look at the mortgage market. Figures outs just after Christmas showed another slowdown in lending. According to the Bank of England, the number of home loans approved fell for the fifth consecutive month and now stands at a 17-month low. Much of the blame for this is being laid at the door of the Mortgage Market Review, a big piece of new regulation that came into force in April. It requires lenders to stress test borrowers' ability to pay at higher interest rates and to look at the full picture of their outgoings, not just their income. The new regulations, or the overzealous interpretation of them, have also been blamed for making it more difficult for older borrowers to get loans and for making mortgages less portable. And it seems even wealthier buyers are not immune to its clauses. Wealthy clients have in the past often gone to private banks rather than high street lenders for home loans. 
That's because they often have unconventional income streams, such as performance-related bonuses or investment income, which private banks tend to understand better. And a home loan would often be tied up with a deal to bring investment assets under the private bank's management. But evidence is now emerging that private banks too are being as paranoid as everyone else about the mortgage market review. Joining me to discuss is Jonathan Harris of mortgage broker Anderson Harris. Jonathan, welcome to the Money Show. First of all, what are you hearing from the front line, so to speak? In general, um, at the moment, we're, we're seeing incredibly um, uh, competitive rates and product in the market, but we're seeing lower levels of activity, mainly due to the market, but also, as you've, as you've mentioned, in terms of lending volumes, um, the mortgage market review is impacting and slowing down that aspect. And specifically for wealthier or better off clients, the sort of people who might have in the past gone to private banks, are, there, are you finding their reporting uh, more difficulty as well? We're certainly starting to see a few difficulties and anomalies uh, with deals which ordinarily would have passed quite easily through uh, private bank and their underwriting teams. Now we're having cases where we're having to work very hard to get them through, and in some instances, um, cases where we just can't get them through, and we have to we have to look at a different uh, approach. And why is that? What are the problems that are suddenly emerging from the from the private bank's point of view? Why are they not approving loans that they might have waived through in the past? Well, traditionally, private banks uh, took a, a pragmatic view and they looked at the profile of the applicant. And if, for example, they were asset rich and cash poor, they would still take a view to lend the money. Now, of course, you have the affordability checks, which some of the private banks are are starting to major on. And for people who have uh, low income streams, but, but, but a high asset base, could fall foul of the system. And the same, you mentioned uh, earlier, elderly people, uh, they typically tend to be, or you know, senior people tend to be asset rich but aren't necessarily drawing down on those assets and and taking income. Weren't private banks supposed to be at least partially exempt from some of the provisions in MMR, though? They are, to a degree, yes. Um, There is uh, the exemption which looks at clients who earn a minimum of £300,000 per annum and have investable assets of £3 million and more. And there is also an exemption for the private banks if they're transacting less than 300 mortgages a year. But uh, I don't feel the, the exemptions are being fully embraced at the moment because I think that the private banks are uh, nervous and trying to satisfy the, the, the rigours of MMR and uh, keep the regulator happy. And uh, finally, what about conditions in the, in the rest of the market? I mean, you said that there's still uh, very good deals on offer uh, for those who look to them. Why then are mortgage lending volumes uh, falling and, and, and have been falling, it seems, since pretty much the middle of last year? Beginning of last year, we were in, um, we were in a sort of crazy market. There was uh, incredible activity. So volumes are very high and MMR hadn't uh, yet impacted or arrived, although it was on its way and lenders had started to adjust their, their policies. But we went from that, that first first part of last year, incredible activity, lenders still not um, you know, being completely tied up by MMR to a situation where the market overheated, activity uh, calmed, and then, of course, it was more difficult to, to process lending. And uh, for the rest of this year, do you think that will change, or is it set to be more of the same? And we saw the Halifax House Price Index today showed a further moderation of, uh, of price growth. 
Yes, I think we obviously we have we have other aspects. We have an election pending as well, so I would suspect that we will we will see activity um, at a fairly moderate level in the first up until the spring, up to the election. I would like to think, though, that uh, once we get into the summer months and there's some more certainty and confidence around that uh, activity will will increase. And I also like to think that as time goes by, the MMR stipulations and the bank's interpretations of those and maybe even the guidelines dished out by the FCA will start to soften and we'll start to see a more pragmatic and expedient approach to lending. Thank you very much. That was Jonathan Harris at mortgage broker Anderson Harris. There's lots more about high-value home loans in this weekend's FT Money, available as part of the weekend FT on both Saturday and Sunday. You can read online at ft.com forward slash money or on tablets using the new FT web app. On to our final item for today. When the government tripled the amount that universities could charge for tuition, many predicted that student numbers would slump. But they haven't. They've remained at fairly high levels and are likely to increase further once the government removes the cap on student numbers in 2016. All those undergraduates and postgraduates need somewhere to live, of course. And if you think that student living is still like something out of the 1980s comedy The Young Ones, then think again. Ensuite bathrooms, super-fast broadband and rents of well over £100 a week are now commonplace. So in theory, somebody should be making a fortune out of the higher education boom. The trouble is, it's not retail investors. Two student accommodation funds have suspended redemptions in recent years, leaving investors unable to get their money out. And one of them is now the subject of a slightly bizarre row over what should happen next. Judith Evans has been investigating. Judith, let's start with the backstory. Which funds are we talking about here? Well, the two sort of most high-profile student accommodation funds that have gone wrong are the Mansion Student Accommodation Fund and the bigger uh, Brando Fund. Mansion has about £250 million of investors' money in it and Brando has about a billion. Both of those suspended redemptions in 2013, meaning that investors can't get their money back because too many investors had asked for their money back and they couldn't pay them, um, basically because obviously selling a property is a big deal and takes a long time. So at the moment, investors are stuck. And what's the state of play at both of those funds? I mean, presumably they, they want to be able to give their money back and they have to liquidate some assets in order to do that. Is that right? Well, that's right. And Brando actually looked at another solution, which was to list the fund, convert it into a real estate investment trust. And obviously when people bought the shares in that investment trust, it would give them um, some money to pay investors back with. But that collapsed. Um, they realised they just weren't going to raise enough money. So Brando is still suspended. Mansion is still suspended. And now we have this interesting row where Mansion Group, who don't actually run the fund, but they run the properties inside the fund, think that the fund should be liquidated. They say it's been suspended for too long and this is the only way. So they've written to the other investors saying, um, let's club together and demand an extraordinary general meeting so that we can start the process of winding up the fund. The board of the fund are very angry about this. They're based at a different company called Active Group, which is in Guernsey. This is an offshore fund. Um, and they say that they've got a review underway of the fund by Knight Frank, well-known property company, and that everyone should just hold their fire until that's done, and then they'll make a plan. 
Now, this is particularly interesting because there's something of a conflict of interest here, isn't there? That's right, and this does reflect the sort of um, slightly complex fund structure. Mansion Group, because they run the properties in the fund as well as owning shares in the fund, they stand to receive um, quite a lot of fees in their capacity as property advisor when the properties are sold. It also plays various other roles with respect to those properties involving rental guarantees. So the board says it's hard to assess what they might stand to gain, but there certainly is um, some potential gain for them there. Now, you mentioned that um, that Mansion is an offshore fund. And these things, I mean, in general, they sound quite risky. I mean, a couple of them have got into difficulties now. How come so much money went into them in the first place? Well, um, the real issue here is with retail investors, ordinary people like you and me, um, putting their money into these funds. And that happened because of some issues in the advice market before the Retail Distribution Review, which was a big overhaul that happened um, in 2013. Before that, the regulator said not all advisors were as professional as they should be. They didn't necessarily assess investments in the right way. And there was also, um, until the review, they were allowed to accept commission from product providers, i.e. the people behind the funds. Now, I must say, I can't confirm how this relates to these specific funds. I don't know what the commissions were. But um, in general, some offshore funds did offer very high commissions to advisors, giving them an incentive to put their clients' money into them. Um, And there were a few terrible cases in which people were advised to put all of their money into something like these student accommodation funds, which is, as a good advisor should know, is, is really a terrible investment strategy. Retail investors aren't really suited to these funds because if you want to invest in student accommodation, it's a very long term bet. And sometimes people's circumstances change, ordinary people's circumstances change, and they need their money back. And that can actually lead to a sort of vicious circle where people start asking for their money back, the fund can't pay, then more people get worried, they ask for their money back as well, and you end up um, in this kind of pickle. If you are um, a trapped investor, you've put money into one of these funds and they're not in a position to give you your money back uh, right now, what should you do? Is there anything you can do other than sit and wait? Well, actually there is, because while the fund itself is not regulated by the UK regulator, an advisor which advise clients to put their money in the fund will be regulated and therefore you do have um, some way to get redress and what you would need to do is go to the financial ombudsman which is an independent complaints body and it can potentially rule that your advisor should just pay you back the money that would in practice probably come from your advisor's insurance which they have to have thanks very much and there's lots more detail on both those funds in this weekend's ft money You can also read an edited transcript of our first Investor Roundtable of 2015, where strategists and some of our columnists discuss the falling oil price, the weakening eurozone, the outlook for the UK general election, and most importantly, what they might buy in the months ahead. We've got the Q&A with Steve Webb that I mentioned earlier, plus highlights from this week's Investors Chronicle, more robust views from Terry Smith and John Lee, plus a selection of your comments and feedback. The Money Show will be back next week, but for now it's goodbye from me, Joe, Judith and our special studio guest, Jonathan Harris of Anderson Harris. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. 
In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.